0: last week we talked about the quickness, the speed at which his coming will happen. The Bible is very explicit, and Jesus himself taught us last week that, that it'll be like a spring of a trap. By the way, the trap conversation was pretty funny because I know I had a mouse trap, and I said I wanted a rat trap, and then someone after the service, okay, it was my son, said, you should use the bear trap. Like, what are you trying to kill me? <laughs> He's like, you're fast enough, you can get your hand out of there, you know? But that kind of shows you the, em- the, um, the, the positioning that the world is in, this, the tension that's ready to spring there and the speed at which it will occur. And Jesus himself taught that to those who were following him. He said, it's going to be fast, so fast. It'll come on you like a thief in the night. Um, Really, really rapid. Or like last week, the word said, spring on you like a trap. That's how the word... shares it. So we know about the urgency and the reality of Jesus' return, but now we want to talk in this last week about the thing that Jesus requires. And I had first said the one thing, but he requires things of us, but one of the things that Jesus requires of us together. And the word that we're going to talk about today is repentance or repent. And so I'm going to do what we always do at Family Bible Church. I want us to pray because this is not about us hearing all my great thoughts for the week. This is about us encountering God directly, me too, with you, through his word, and through our own reflection with him, so and our listening to him. So pray with me that you would, uh, you would be able to see and hear with me. Father God, today we give you thanks and praise, and we do sing with the heavenly host, Hosanna. We sing hallelujah. We sing our king is born, and we celebrate the reality of your coming kingdom, that we get tastes now of what's coming later, that this world, even though it is broken and it is failing, that we get glimpses, insights, or... or just flashes of the brilliance of what you've created and your intention for what it should be or become. We pray, Father, that really all this stuff is too great for our minds, too, too magnificent because you don't fit within our scope of our imagination or our knowledge, that your reality is so much bigger uh, than us and our capacity. And, and yet we, we know we want more of you. Today we come here together in your name to learn more of you, to hear more of you, to respond more to you in our lives. Father, would you do that work? It is a holy undertaking that we cannot do ourselves, but would you um, continue to call us forward and redeem us more fully? Um, Have your Holy Spirit dwell richly here in each person, gathered each soul you've drawn near today. Would your Holy Spirit work in them? And would we have the courage to Um, as your word says, repent, to, to uh, surrender ourselves to you completely in everything that we're doing. May you be glorified. I pray that this space, the middle school that it is, would be fully redeemed as your sanctuary today, and that we could know you more completely because we've encountered you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have, we have quite a few scriptures today we're going to work through, and so I want to invite you to get your Bibles out. If you, if you brought one, that's awesome. And if you didn't, you can grab one of ours or on the tables and on the end of your chair row, there should be Bibles around. And we're going to first look at the book of Malachi chapter 3. And so Malachi chapter 3, this is a First Testament um, uh, prophet. Malachi 3. And we're going to talk a little bit about, we talked about the scale and the scope of Jesus' return. We talked about the speed of his return. And and now we're going to talk about this kind of longing and this waiting moment, which is what uh, defines Advent, really, both as we celebrate with Christmas, but also as we wait upon the return of the King. Uh, This is what the Word says. Verse 1, look, or behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare... The way before me, and then suddenly, there's the word: the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant or the promise, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Because he will be like a refiner's fire or like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. And so the the prophet is beginning to talk about this coming moment. And I want to point out a few things we've already heard about. But the first is that this this moment will come suddenly upon you, right? Right? That you're living your life like I'm living my life right now, and I'm thinking, what I got to do after worship today? What I have to do Monday when I get back to work? You know, what I have to do Wednesday or Friday or whatever next weekend? Uh, my plans for Christmas, my plans for New Year. But the Word says that He will come. The me- the the Messiah will come like uh-uh, suddenly. Right? We talked about that already. But then look, and I want to point this out this morning. It says that the the one you desire will come suddenly. Look at the word with me. Then suddenly the Lord, what, who you are seeking will come in his temple. The one that you are seeking or waiting for will arrive. And I want to spend a minute talking about that because there is a right position that we have as believers in Jesus of the now and not yet. We talked about that already, right? Like Jesus came. We celebrate that in Christmas. And Jesus lived a perfect life amongst men. And he taught us. And then he gave his life on the cross, which we could not understand and we cannot fully fathom really what that means. And then he was raised from the dead and he appeared and he ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. And now we live in this time and yet we're waiting for the king, the one that we're expecting or the one that we're longing to see. That's what the word says. The Lord, the master that you are seeking, will come in his temple. And so I want to kind of bring some properness to that expectation in your life. I don't know uh, if you're like me in this, but there are times when I'm ready. I mean, I think I'm ready, right? I'm like, come, Lord, now. Let's, let's, I'm ready. Let's do this. Usually that comes in hard times, right? I mean, we're just, we're, 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 we've are had enough. We're done. The Word says that the one, the Lord, that you are seeking will come in His temple. That this great moment of expectation. We're going to juxtapose a little bit with Christmas narrative, the coming of the Messiah in the form of a child in the manger, and how that came at an unexpected um, time. But, the, but for now, it's good enough to say that the Lord that we are seeking will come, that it's a promise that God has made, that the, mes- the, the, mes- the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come. The messenger of the promise will come, is what the word says there. Look, don't miss it. It says Yahweh, the creator God Almighty, the Holy One says that will happen. Now look at verse 2 with me. But who can endure the day of his coming? Or who can stand when he appears? Right? And I told you we're going to juxtapose a little bit with this idea of the Christmas narrative, because the reality is, and the funny bit is, that um, when Jesus came the first time, we have this story of ultimate humility. We have this story of his his teenage pregnant mom riding to town with her her um, was it called betrothed or what is that like? She's promised to be married to this man who's a good man and has agreed to marry him. it's not his child, and they come to this town and they don't have even a place of proper respect to be born, and then they go living with the cattle in the shed out back, and then he's born, and and then I read that and I'm like, what? Because it says the Messiah that you're expecting will come, and this was written to the uh, The church, the Old Testament church, the First Testament church. It says, who will be able to stand on the day of his coming? It's funny, because if you think about it, there were a lot of people standing when Jesus came. Don't you think? Doesn't it sound like it? We sing songs about shepherds standing in the fields at night. We sing about wise men who ride in the camels around. We sing about rulers and authorities who were trying to kill any threat to their reign. This makes it sound like just to be this moment where no one's going to be able to stand. We talk about that in the series as well, that we will stand on that day there's so something here that is now and not yet. What I would say is that the manger seems so safe. Like, the manger seems so safe. If you spend all your time with little baby Jesus that, you know, messes in his diaper and coos and ooze and all the cute stuff of Christmas— and, and you don't grapple with what the scripture says, that, that there will come a day when who can stand in his presence? Wait, let's just think about Jesus' life for a minute together. Isn't it radical? Well, we first with what? The, the shepherds, when they come, or the wise men when they come, and they see Jesus, they, they, they get face down on the ground when they recognize what's happening. Or Peter, in the boat with Jesus, when he says, hey, catch the fish, and they... They catch the fish, then Jesus, he, he falls down. So there's some taste of that, right? There's some little bit of that that we can know and experience now. But this seems to be talking about something more. Let's read on and find out. Picking up again in verse 2. Who can stand when he appears? This is what he's going to be like. This is what he will be like, is what the word says there. A refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. That's what he's going to be like. And this is all building up this idea of why, why should we repent? Why? What's that about? Why, sh- why do hard things come to us? What's going on? Why is that the moment that we say, God, we're ready. Get us out of here when it's hard. I did some studying this week and looked into these two concepts that are attributed directly to the Messiah coming of a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. It's kind of a weird thing to put together, isn't it? A refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. So the refiner's fire, you might have seen it. You can do some research and find out how you do this kind of metallurgy stuff. You know, purifying, separating things out. Um, you get some core, is my understanding. The core is kind of a the stuff with all the gross junk in it that's not really valuable, and you begin to kind of wash it and clean it, and then you start to cook it. And one way you can refine is through heating it. And when you, when you begin to heat it up, and that's what, I say that because here it's a fire. There's other ways to refine, but here the word says it's like a refiner's fire. And and when a refiner is firing a piece of earth, a piece of just regular old dirt, Right, They're looking for what's precious in it. They're, they're, they're continuing the process of looking, and the ultimate goal for a refiner is purity. I remember, uh, I, I should say, I remember I, I looked into this, and one of the things I was looking about how to refine was copper, and it said that they had this whole big process. When they get to, they can get 99.75% pure copper, right? Or maybe gold. You say, well, how pure is the gold that you're wearing if you happen to be wearing gold today? Maybe you have silver on, right? The, the refinement process was about... Um, making this pure, and getting the essence of what is good from it, what is valuable in this world. Which is really striking, honestly, given how we handle money. But that's a side issue of what what Jesus said about where your treasures, where your heart's going to be. That there are things that are valuable, and that that this is what God is doing. He's refining fire. That's what he's like, a refiner's fire. So there's this purifying aspect of what's happening. Now that, you probably knew that. You're like, yeah, I get it. Okay, I understand. You need to be purer than we are. That's part of what Messiah is doing. Who can stand because we'll have to be purer than we are right now? But there's something else going on with, pure, with the refining process, and it's this, that a lot of times when you get the pure element in the state you want it, then you want to shape it or form it or mold it into something else. So you know what it is, right? I watched somebody this week that was talking about silver and the refinement process and they used to stamp silver so you would know. It would be called sterling silver or it would have a number code on it so you could tell that that was real silver. It wasn't plated. It wasn't something else. It wasn't, you know, what we have now, which is like flatware or whatever. You know? It was silverware. It was uncommon. It was unique. And it was marked because by the time the refiner has gone all that work to get at that state, he wants people to know what it is. Or I looked into the denarius, which was silver, right? And... and and what that, um, that is, which we don't even have anymore. I think someone said since 64, we've not had a silver coin in our currency. But it's remarkable. It's held its value for 2,000 years in that same way. The reshaping, recasting, or, or forming it to something else of purpose, of intent, is part of the refiner's process as well. That doesn't have to be. You get a, here's a lump of pure silver. But most people will make it something, a bar, you know, a coin, something beautiful. That's what the Messiah is like purifying or reshaping or recasting us. The last thing I'll say about this is that this refining fire, you know, especially even now, it's a skill. Because what I learned as I looked into this is that if you apply too much heat, it all burns up and you lose it. And if you apply too little, impurities last. But if you apply just the right heat, just the right situation, just the right control temperature, you can get the junk, the dross, the ugly stuff out and you can get what you're after. And the word says that that is what Messiah is like. Who will stand? Isn't that interesting? Because he's like a refining fire or a refiner's fire. Skilled and artisan. And then, all of a sudden, with me now, you might see an image of in that moment where you're like, I'm ready. And the word is, you're not. I'm refining you for purity, for my goals, and not your own. The second thing this. Seems completely opposite, but you'll see is kind of similar is laundry soap. So to me, I mean, like they're finding fire. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna burn up. (laughs) You know, it's like it's hot, it's painful, it's not fun to go through. I would never pick it, I would never choose it. But God is doing it anyway because He loves me. But then I think about laundry soap. I'm like, well, who don't like a bath? Other than little boys, (laughs) don't like baths. (laughs) You know. But that's kind of a good. You gotta wash. You can't come to the table smelling like a pig, right? Your moms are like, yeah, they still do. I'm married to him. No, you don't think that. No, that the, there's this process also, and it's different, because the launderer soap is not just like your mom going wash behind your ears, man. The launder soap was a skill-crafted artisan who could make garments, what, white. That was the goal, to take unrefined cotton and make it purely white. Even if you wanted a red or a blue, or a purple, or some other color, you would have to first get the material white so you could dye it, so you could make the color you're after, right? This process, kind of like the refining fire, is not what you'd expect. It wasn't just that they were washing really, really hard. Um, The truth is that they would take and they would apply some chemical to the material, the cotton, to um, begin to bleach it, cleanse it. This could have been something like... um, uh, there was some ashes apparently from certain plants you burn them up and the ash would actually get in there it was it was um alkaline i think is the is the chemical math here which i'm not good at chemistry but that's what's happening here or um in modern times m- most modern times lie right that lie would get in there it was dangerous lie by itself I means it's it's, it's, it's it's um caustic right um it's alkaline and it's dangerous to handle and yet um, when applied, it, 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 does this, it brings this process about. Well, what's interesting about the process and the way it was when it was recorded was they would take the fabric or they would take the material and they would um, get it wet and they would l- spread it out and they would sprinkle this stuff on it. Okay, so, so far, so good. So you're already kind of going, oh, that hurts. It's kind of like fire. Oh, it burns a little bit. But then they would take stones or sticks and they would beat the material, (laughs) you know. Now, if this is what Messiah is like, I'm not sure I want to be white anymore, you know what I mean? They're pounding you between a rock and a hard place, like they're just beating the stuffing out of this material because it will be pure or it will be worthless, and the same thing happens. And then where the launderer's uh, technique came to be known is it was like a trotting process. So then they would take the material out into a, s- a flowing stream and they would lay it there and they would walk on it. And kids could do this and they would just walk on it. And as the water washed through the fabric, usually in a stream, like I said, because you had to change the water a lot to get it clean enough, all the impurities and all that discoloration would wash away. Unless you think I'm just making much of nothing when Jesus went up and um, was transfigured in front of uh, his disciples, the word actually records that he was whiter than any um, uh, launderer soap could get him. It was the brightest white they'd ever seen in their life. And they'd seen some experts. Okay? So again, you have an expert process. There's some pain involved. There's some tools that are used. And it's not fun. And the implication is that we are the Parts of us are the silver. Our parts of us are the fabric that God desires to transform for his purpose, for his glory. And maybe you, not to be white forever, to be stained another color than his color, for his purposes, for his tapestry that he's working on. A harsh but expert process that, if done right, will not destroy the fabric, but will make it more beautiful than it could have ever been. That is what Malachi says he will be like. That begs the question then, who can stand? Verse 3, it says this, he will set as a refiner and purifier of silver and will purify the Levites, I want to say that real quick, and refine them like gold and silver. The Levites was the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, okay? And and that, I think, is, um, and then I want to read on a little more. Then Yahweh will have people who will bring offerings in righteousness. And so this is not just about the Levitical priesthood, but this becomes about him desiring people to bring him what's truly owed to him. Unencumbered, untainted worship. Beautiful, as the word says, in worshiping in spirit and in truth with the essence of who he made us to be because of him. I hope you see that. This is the, this is the prophetic mechanism that says, we'll set the table for the Messiah to come. Today we we heard from the opening of the Gospel of Luke. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter 3 of the Gospel of Luke, and it's going to be verses 1 through 6. So turn there if you would. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of I can't pronounce that. Eteritha and Tracheus, and Lacinias. okay, Tetrarch of Abilene, whew, um, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Sapphias, and Seaphis, <laughs> the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, well, that was a long way to get to there, wasn't it, okay, in the desert, wait, the word of the Lord came to John, right, son of Zechariah, in the desert, John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. I want to stop there for a minute and talk about this. So you have, earlier we heard this song of Zechariah, it's called, where he sang a song to the Messiah, uh, for is coming Messiah, the promises made. You'll remember that he was mute because he didn't believe God could do what he said he could do. So the song was a big deal to Zechariah. And, um, and then here you have his son who's in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want to spend just a minute now talking about this idea of what John is doing in the desert. So we all have the image of John out there, but he's literally saying, now get this, he's saying to Israel, the people of God, who said God is our God, the God that we stand, God with us, God on our side, he's saying, you all have to change. You all have to repent. The baptism that he offered was not a baptism to get wet, it was a baptism to say, I am willing to change. I believe that God is doing something else. Which is why it was such a scandal when he was doing it. To go out into the desert and leave the city center and be baptized by John must have been an anathema to people in their faith. What? We have God with us. We're Israel. But John, who abstained from everything the word says, was saying, you all must be changed. Baptism of repentance. And then check out what else the word says. For the forgiveness of God of sins. Again, you're Israel. There's a way to get forgiveness for sins. We, we bring sacrifices to the temple. There's a way to do this. He's like, no, it's all going to have to change. This isn't working. This is not going to work, and, and you have to come. This whole process, I, I, you know, it's an act of God. I mean, I'm just going to say that. We can't be too hard on them, because they had to go and, like, say, all my... Father's religion, all the stuff that I was taught by the, the, the um, religious leaders is good enough. This, this crazy man in the desert saying is not good enough, and that the sacrifices aren't working, and that we have to be baptized for change that we might have our sins forgiven. Or, another way you can say that is, that we might recognize our sins are forgiven, then therefore be baptized because we're changed. But it's not your mom and dad's religion that's saving you. This idea of the repentance is what I want to focus on. Repent means to have our our mind changed from being with someone, to have our thinking changed. Because there's a different Greek word for having your mind changed. But to have your thinking changed because you spent time with someone. I'm sure that most people, when they first came out and saw John in the wilderness, they thought, this guy is cuckoo for coconuts. And they went back to the city where the holy people were. But the more they hung out with John, the more they understood that he is saying something that we need to listen to and that we have to change. And I can't imagine the courage it would take to take that step of faith and to walk into that water with John and say, I'm here. I want to know God more. Will you baptize me for repentance and the forgiveness of my sins? And they would come up out of the water and they'd be ready for God. What are you going to do? God, we know you. What are you going to do with us now? This is the baptism that John came offering. There's, there's more, but I want you to understand that this idea of repenting is to change your thinking and is required of every one of us, every one of us here. Look at what the Word says in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, John says... It's the voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Every valley will be filled in. and Every high mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked roads will become straight. The rough ways made smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. See, this is different thinking about the Messiah. This is different thinking about the moment that they're in which they didn't recognize, they didn't see. I don't know if you think about that at all in your life, right? We've talked about this series, how things aren't like they should be. You go, that's good, but it's not quite right. That's terrible, and it's not even close. You know, you have some judgment of your, of your own, like of what's good and bad in the world, but what the Word says is that the roads are all crooked. I just have this image of like this kind of jagged, you know, not even wandering, just kind of harsh change of directions, racing this way, racing that way. And John says, no, all those roads should be made straight for the coming of the Messiah. All these paths that are wandering through the wilderness should be made straight from here to the kingdom. It should be very clear what's happening here. God is doing something different. It's not about following all these rules and regulations and laws. It's about believing that he is bringing the Messiah to us and that the road will be made straight when he, when he arrives. He'll, he'll be here with us. The crooked roads made straight. I, love, I just love that turn of phrase. The crooked roads made straight. Maybe you're more of a mountain valley guy and that may, you know that's the thing, right? Just this, all oh, it's going to be level. There's going to be, no, I can't see over the horizon. No, it's going to be clear to everyone right there what's happening. All these things will be very, very clear to us. And the rough roads made smooth, you know. And then the word says that all men, or my, my translation says all mankind will see God's salvation. Um, some translations say all man or all people will see salvation. But, but um, I looked into it because I had to, right? <laughs> it says all flesh, which is really funny because the Apostle Paul talks about the battle of the flesh and the spirit. But the word here says that all flesh... We'll see God's salvation. We'll, 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 we'll have an opportunity. We'll know. We'll see what's happening with the salvation of the Lord. It kind of reminds me of what the word says, that there will be no excuse because the path was clear and straight and open and wide. The flesh resists that, but the flesh will see that. It's right there in front of us, this Messiah. That's what John's proclamation is um, I want to share with you, and you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to, because I'm not trying to do any sneaky stuff here. I'm going to turn to, um, oh, you can turn, I guess. I thought I had on the screen. You can turn to uh, Isaiah 40 if you want to. You don't have to. It's only two verses. I just want to point out a couple things. You can stay there in Luke, we're going to come back to Luke in a minute. But l- listen to what the Word says, because this is what he quotes, right? He quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah, verses 3 through 5. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, Yahweh. Make straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God, which is why I really felt compelled to come here and talk about that, because that's interesting, right? Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places made, made like a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. Same idea. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, authority and power, His promise to us. But what was really funny to me was in um, Luke, uh, the Greek chooses to use the word for path, which is like tribus or something. So it means this kind of tribal kind of routing, you know, that these are made straight to God, straight for his glory. But I love that in Isaiah the prophet it says, Make straight in the wilderness. A highway for our God. It means make it very clear, wide, open. You know, you ever, you, you ever heard that? Oh, there's a song that says highway to hell, right? <laughs> you know, they always say uh, that there's a path to heaven that's like a tightrope and there's this broad thing that's going to hell, you know. But what the prophet says is we should make a huge, wide road for people to see the coming Messiah, to see the promise that God has made in Jesus Christ. And why? because there's going to be eight lanes of traffic racing to heaven? I don't think that's why we're building a turnpike. You know, that's what the word says, right? It's the same idea of a turnpike or a highway, interstate, the autobahn for God. Again, I think it's the later. It was kind of obvious, wasn't it? Jesus wasn't a secret. You all heard the gospel. He's provided this huge road to heaven. It might, I know, and you'll the life full of struggles, but the opportunity that Jesus gives us is wide and broad and it's huge and his gift to us. And so John, God love him, man. When he's out there, he's like, I'm gonna baptize you for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins so that this road is wide open when Messiah comes, man. That we're ready to receive him. We're ready to respond to him. We're ready to live with him and, and, you know, experience all he's bringing to us because he's surely coming. But the first step on that road is a step of repentance, a changing of our thinking. That's amazing to me. And are, are we building that kind of a highway to see Jesus' glory? Are we making the path clear? Are we saying, well, it's a secret. You've got to find your hidden door, you know? No, no, no. It's a highway to heaven built on the promises and blood of Jesus. Now, what's funny about this, and I want to talk to all of us for a minute here, right, is a lot of times this word repent is only used to mean people who we think are sinners which we're all sinners. That's the secret, okay? But we think it's for people who don't know Jesus or they have to repent, right? But I think, and I've heard a great quote recently that said, the truth of understanding Scripture properly is to understand that the Bible is right and everyone else is wrong. That means all of us. And, and, and what that requires, and you say, well, what does that mean? You preach every Sunday. How do you preach if everybody's wrong? Because we're not preaching our own knowledge and wisdom. We're preaching the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ in flesh, his promise to us to have salvation forever. That's the promise. And it's not of us. It's of God. And he's keeping his word. So we have this opportunity to, to preach um, Jesus and repent, change our thinking. So, oh, great. It's not just for folks outside of church don't hear the gospel yet, right? They don't not, listen. Um, I think the truth is that we need to repent all the time. We need to repent. I think we need to have our minds renewed by the glory of God. Say, God, I'm following you the best I can, but what, what am I getting wrong? To desire the refiner's fire, to desire to be clean and pure and blameless and holy and spotless on the day. The church. He need to repent. We we should be like world-class repenters, man. We should be like athletes. Like we should be gold medalists in the repentance category, you know. When people come and they say, well, you know, the repentance is, you know, easy for you to say because I'm the bad guy. No, man, I repent all the time. I've got to think differently about life, especially when I start to stop thinking about it. When you start to get to where you don't have to wonder with God about your convictions on any particular thing, I don't, that's a dangerous place to be, because you know what you're saying? I'm ready. I'm ready, Jesus. The silver is pure. The cloth is white. Oh, God, what still needs to be cleansed from me? Oh, I want to be ready on that day, Lord. What more must I learn and know and be changed in my mind, and my thinking? It's a funny thing, too, man, because it is about our thinking. I want to share with you, um, from the book of, of Philippians, and this one I think I do have on the screen for you. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and I just shared this with you, so I'm not going to go through this um, whole text, but I just want to point out uh, what Paul says in Philippians, verses 3 through 6. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy... Because of your partnership in the gospel on the first day till now, so he's thankful for that. But he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I am confident in this: that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Like that is such an awesome, radical prayer. That it wasn't about that one time at camp when you were 14 that you repented. It wasn't about that one time when you were 30 and you were wore out. Wasn't that one time when you were in your 50s and you finally had enough of your own life and you gave over to Jesus. But it's about, Paul says, no, I pray with joy and I pray with hope because God says he will finish this work in you. What that means is that we will have to continue to repent along the way. That the work isn't over. It's ongoing. And that's okay. The Bible is full of these truths, that's not like, I'm not cherry picking, you can find it all over the scriptures, that we're being refined and purified, that there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh, that there's fruit of both in our life, that there's a pruning of the things that are not good and and, and a, a grafting into the things that we need to be who God's calling us to be. We live in this place of continual refinement by our Savior. The moment, listen to me, man, the moment about being saved isn't that moment that you finally said the prayer, you finally got in the water. It was the moment that you came out and you're like, now what are we doing? And God's like, this is what's next. And you go and you do that because he will keep his promises. For many of us, we get to that spot and we're like, I don't know, I don't know if this is working, man. I don't know what's happening. But God isn't forgotten or slow in keeping his promise, the one that began a good work, listen, will carry it to completion. The one that started this with you, the one that challenged those Israelites to dare to believe that there was a sacrifice coming worth more than pigeons and goats and heifers, but that there was a coming Messiah, that one, who got them to get their toes in the water and get wet, is the one that will bring them into his kingdom for his name's sake and for his glory. And that is something that we can pray and be excited about for one another, man. I'm telling you, I, w- I was just talking to someone about this idea, and it's like, can you, tr- you trust yourself with Jesus? Like, do you trust your whole life with Jesus? Can you just say, Jesus, do what you want with me? That, right, we, we go, okay, yeah, I, I try to do that. Bill, I say, uh, whatever. But do you, when we look at other people, we're like, oh, what's happening with them? And there's been people that I've recently decided to say, God, these are your people. This is your promise, and you're going to have to keep it. It's you. And you're big enough for that. And so you begin to not just trust God with you and who you are, but you begin to trust God with other people and who they are and the journey that they're on with him and trusting that he will bring about the refining fire. He will bring about the bleaching of the material and he will bring them spotless into his kingdom for his name's sake. And Paul says, man, I pray with joy because of that. Because he will finish the work that he started in you. And we'll go back to Luke. We're going we're to wrap up in Luke here. Luke 1, 76 through 78. I have it on the screens here as well. And you, my child. This is from what I read earlier, by the way. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Because you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Hmm. Listen. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And 78 because of the tender mercy of our God. And I think that this is, this is spoken over Zach, Zach, by Zechariah over his son John, but I think that we, in our same way in this second coming of Christ, live in this tender moment of mercy from God. This moment of repentance where we can say, I am done trying to do it my way. I am going to surrender it to you. I am done trying to be holy enough or good enough or right enough or have the right answers or solutions. I'm going to believe you for your promise. And this moment is a moment of tender mercy. It says you will do this to what? Prepare the way for him, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Work that is finished in Jesus Christ. Work that you cannot do because you've been insulting the throne of heaven. You're trying to make yourself good enough for God because God has given himself for you. This whole idea is rooted in God's tender mercy in this time. Um, I want to close with these thoughts here. So how do we get to where we change? How do we live a life of active repentance without being artificially, woe is me, I'm such a broken person, and we are. I mean, we get it, right? The prison of flesh, like this limitation that we have, and yet knowing that God is accomplishing his purposes through it. How do we do that? Jesus himself used the word of repentance a lot in the scripture. But he said this, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you don't get that, that to understand those two things, to believe the good news of Jesus and and to know the kingdom of heaven is near to us, even in the middle of the chaos, that God is doing a work in that, that that we haven't repented, we haven't changed our thinking. This um, work of the proclamation of the gospel continues. And all of us are invited into it. And I long, I hope with you, to find that path that rightly sets Jesus apart. I mean, He's the only way to salvation, and yet makes it wide and broad so everyone can see that He's the way to salvation. That means it has to be less about us and more about Him and less about who we are and more about who He is in our lives. I don't know if you're there, man. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know. Listen, if you've gotten a glimpse of it, I would encourage you <laughs> in your own heart, in your life, your inner being. By the way, this whole repentance thing is not an outward thing. I, there's so much to say, but I, it, it doesn't ultimately—it's it's not about living rightly. It's not about externalization. It's about internalization of what we know and believe to be true about God and then letting that bear fruit in our lives. The fruit's a side effect of the transformation in our minds. And I, I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you have that moment of what you need to walk out of and into with Jesus. You know, that, that this idea that the forgiveness of our sins, that they are sent away from us in Christ's name, that they are, they, are, they are banished from us in our lives. But that's the work that we're called to do. I would just say, brothers and sisters, people made in God's image, there's anything today that's in there, you know, You just go, it's got to to get out, man. It's not of God. There's that moment, you know, where God's giving you the horizon. He's like, here I am. You have to get your toes on water and believe. Just repent of your thinking and believe that God is who he says he is. And that we would live a life like that. Oh, waiting for the Messiah to come. Lord, when you're ready. Lord, when you know your people are ready. Lord, at that perfect, holy moment, come. I'm going to invite you to pray with me today. And I'm telling you, man, God knows what's going on inside of you. Like, I'm here. I'm another person with you. We're on this journey together. God knows what's happening inside of me. But I'm telling you today that if you have been pricked like in your heart if there's something going on in you that you're like this is you and God and no one else and so I'm going to invite you to talk to him to pray with him to invite him to just open yourself up to say that just say Lord I need to repent but I don't know what to repent to or from like I just need my mind changed and if that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me that God would do work that only God can do. And we'll leave it up to him 100%. Whatever he does, he does, right? But that's our prayer today when we pray together. Um, if, as you feel compelled by the Lord, would you pray with me right now? Father, you are so good. And your word is so good. And we need you so much. And Father some of us have got glimpses of what's coming, of the eternity and the promise and the Messiah. And we, we're like, we're like John. We're, we're out there proclaiming it. We, we, we don't fully understand all of this it. too much for us, but we know you are in it. Father, would you help us to continually repent in our minds and our hearts towards you that we would have lives that manifest fruit for your glory. Father, for those who are here right now and you have just woken something in them today that you have, and it's not me, it's you. It's, it's what you're doing in your people. Would you work in their heart? Would they, would they respond with repentance? Right now, if that's their prayer, help me repent, help my mind change, help, help my mind be transformed for the places I'm wrong, I'm sinning against you and heaven and other people, all this stuff. Would you break us into that place of freedom with you and repentance? And would you help them walk through that door? Would you just help them come and meet you and your mercy and your grace and your hope and your love? Father, I, I just pray a prayer of thanks and grace for the work that you've done and the work that you're doing. And I pray a prayer of thanks and grace. It doesn't just happen here on Sunday, but it happens out there all the time. And it's for the hard days that you're in it, that you're not absent, that you love us, and that we would be totally surrendered, Lord. May we have hearts and minds wake up every morning and say, Lord, I know what yesterday was, but what's today? What are you doing? How do I need to change? Purify us, Father. We trust you. We trust you with everything. Make us who you'd have us to be for your glory and for our good. I thank you so much for the opportunity we've got to worship you together. I pray that, a prayer of thanks for the work that you've done in your Holy Spirit, and I pray a prayer of thanks for worship today. As we respond to you and we worship you together, may you be glorified. I pray these things in the mighty name of our Savior and Lord. Amen.